Welcome to Fundamentally Drained Podcast with your hosts, Father Everett Lees, Father Tom Dahlman, and Justin Dixon. Three Christians exploring Christianity from a perspective other than the fundamental view from which we have become fundamentally drained. We'll begin the conversation, and you take it from there. Today we will talk about holy baptism. This is part 18 of the What We Believe series, and some of you may think, is this ever going to (laughs) end? It will, I promise, it will. Um, But I hope you've enjoyed this series, and uh, we are going to talk about uh, baptism today. And, and I'm going to start actually with the prayer book. Um, some awesome, awesome first Q&A. Uh, if you've looked at this in the prayer book, this outline of faith is outlined as a question and answer. But it says, what is holy baptism? It says, holy baptism is the sacrament by which God adopts us as his children and makes us members of Christ's body, the church, and inheritors of the kingdom of God. I'm sure all of you in that very cool way mouthed that because you have it memorized. At least the two people on the podcast with me did. (laughs) So what is the purpose of baptism? Let's jump into the root of it, which probably will dive into other questions. So um, Everett, I think I started with Tom last week. Ding. Let's start with Everett. What is the purpose of baptism outside of what I just said? I probably shouldn't have read that. Go. <laughs> Gosh. Um, you know, so baptism is the entry point into the body of Christ. Um, it is the, um, it, it, it is, you know, the primary symbol um, of, you know, the, you know, the Christian identity uh, begins with baptism. Um, you know, there's a whole multiplicity of, of meanings and metaphors that we um, can and do apply to it, but I think at its core is it is the entry point into the body of Christ. Okay. All right, Tom, what is the purpose of baptism? Roll up them sleeves and get busy. Go! <laughs> so it's an adoption. It's pretty much... The same thing as if you're adopting a child, when you go into the courtroom and you have that final uh, service, it's sort of like a service where the child officially becomes your child. I forget what it's called, but that's baptism. It is where that's what's enacted by the sacrament. You receive, if this, if you know, if God was an American, you would receive the God's last name, you know, Hmm. that's where you become part of the family. Hmm. I like that. That's good. Okay. Um, adoption. What, uh, both of you use body of Christ. Explain body of Christ, uh, Everett. What, what is the body of Christ? Well, so you know, I mean, so what is what what is Christ's body today? And and again, that's one of those things where there's um, you know you have you have the body of Christ, which is um, you know the, the the bread and and holy Eucharist. You have the body of Christ, which is um, uh, Christ who sits at the right hand of the Father, and you have the body of Christ, which is the the church, the gathered community. Okay, 
And Paul takes that and actually uses it. it uh, gosh, I just questioned myself, but actually uses the, the, you know, we are different parts of the body and blah, blah, blah. And then there's the joke about who's the, you know, elbow and who's the <clears throat> hole <laughs> and stuff like that. Um, is that kind of along the lines of we all, all churches make up? Because when you say the church, um, we, I, I've always assumed, I assume now, <laughs> I didn't, that that is the church, meaning every church, not a specific denomination. Is that along the same lines of what you say and when you say the church, right? Yeah. <clears throat> and so, yeah, and, and, and I think, you know, that's, this is, you know, the primary image that, that Paul utilizes to talk about, um, you know, to, to understand what, what baptism is, is that it is, or what the church is, that it is the body of Christ, the gathered community. Okay. What, uh, anything to add to that, Tom, body of Christ? Yes. So we believe that there's one baptism. So if you are baptized in the Baptist world or the Church of Christ or Presbyterian, wherever, you don't get re-baptized when you come to the Episcopal Church. A baptism in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is your admission to communion. So it doesn't matter whether you're Episcopal or not, whether you're confirmed in that way. I think it's one of the most beautiful and faithful ideas that we have in our church, that there's one church that extends beyond the borders of our our denomination, even our communion, which is worldwide, you know, it's um, it's. It's a way of recognizing the church Catholic. Hmm. So it's our ideas about baptism have more implications than just for, you know, arguing with your buddies about how many, whether you were saved the first time or the second time or the third time, you know, right. It's, it's an adoption. Hmm. And when you're adopted, it's more about what the, adoptee is doing than what the children are doing all right i've got a, a confession <laughs> to make because that just clicked for me because <laughs> i've had people um who have um yeah I, and it is what it is i, I don't I, this isn't me like saying oh they did this uh but who have been baptized multiple times that's fine that's fine um but it's funny that i i the one baptism thing, it never extended to, to the quote unquote, the church uh, as adoption into it, because I always viewed for so long the the church as the current building I'm going to. And so the idea that one baptism is into the or body of Christ kind of as a ever alluded to. So, yeah, that's one of those moments for me. First time. Actually, there's a meme thing or a trend going around on Facebook where they say first time you've ever heard this or whatever it is. It's like the King James Bible. When you realize it's like, wait a second, he was a real King. <laughs> I didn't get that. I just thought it was called the King James Bible. <laughs> so good one. Uh, thank you for that epiphany um, or whatever. Uh, well, and I think, and I think it's important. There are, there are traditions um, who, you know, you're rebaptized in order to join that particular mm, church. Okay. So, um, 
you know, that is not that is not a universal belief, belief. Um, in the in the Catholic tradition. And I mean that, in the you know, in the wider sense. Yes. You know, it is it is generally held that we recognize one another's baptisms. Um, but there are some, you know, some churches, um, um, most notably, most notably um, churches in the Baptist tradition, which um, require rebaptism to join that church. Mm. And now that I have this knowledge, I am going to totally hold it over others' heads and make them feel terrible. <laughs> I, I'm good. <laughs> Whatever. Said as one should. That's what. <laughs> Uh, humans, I tell you what. All right. Good stuff. Good stuff. I'm learning stuff this morning. Um, thank you, Tom, for jumping into that one baptism piece there. Boom. Uh, check that off my list. So when and why did this tradition of baptism begin? Tom, unleash the hounds. So Jesus, Christians didn't invent baptism. They just revisioned it, reimagined it, repurposed it. It was the Jewish mikveh was an immersion that took place whenever you were going through a purification or uh, a ritual purification or an act of personal piety like John the Baptist out in the desert or the priest before they entered the Holy of Holies. Hmm. So the... So... Um, so Jesus, you took this existing idea that was present in the Jewish faith, and and really it's a it's a call to the same kingdom of God that we see in the Hebrew scriptures. Mm-hmm. So this is your this is your entry point into that by the Spirit. So um, it was originally. A, a full immersion in water. It was done three times, which uh, those of us who are baptized in a like a Protestant evangelical tradition were probably baptized one, you know, just dunked once. But um, so that's the origin of it. The three times immediately makes me think of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, um, right, or Holy Ghost, or something like that. Which is probably something that was adapted later if the mikvah, well, I'm sorry, the mikvah wasn't three times, but um, that was more of a cleansing, I guess. Uh, correct me where I'm wrong there, but the three times makes me say, oh, we could, hey, we can tag the Trinity on to that. Right. Uh, it was, it was going on as early as Tertullian uh, describes the triple immersion in pretty st- great detail, which is by the second century. So it's a pretty early practice, but it does, I don't know if it was part of the mikvah. I know they had multiple immersions, especially if they're going into the temple. But. So there's something interesting. I mean, so there's a sense in which, I mean, so yeah, so a couple things. One, um, mikvah, um, you know, the ritual cleansing as Tom talks about. Um, if you are, if you are converting um to Judaism from not born into Judaism but converting to Judaism um you have to be submerged in living water um there is a a, a great um storyline in Orange is the New Black about this where 
um, one of the prisoners decides that she wants to be Jewish. And at first it's because the kosher meals are better than, you know, (laughs) but the last, but, but, but it really becomes something that is, it becomes meaningful for her. But the last step was, is that she had to be submerged in living water in order to be, um, to, to complete her conversion. Um, great storyline. The third one is, is that in a sense, John the Baptist also sort of reinterpreted mikvah. And so rather than like a ritual purity was come and be submerged and turn your life around. Um, you know, a bab, you know, a baptism of repentance. And John talks about, you know, you know, I baptize you with water, but one is coming who will baptize you, you know, with fire and the Holy spirit. And so, um, there's a sense in which all these things are built upon each other. Um, um, yeah, that's good. Um, love the <clears throat> oranges, new black reference. That's good. The kosher meals are better. Um, that's that little carrot <laughs> dangled there. I know that's a narrative, but, um, I mean, and I've said this before, it's like the Episcopal church drew me in. It's like, wait, you can drink beer. <laughs> <laughs> little carrot dangling out there. So there's a book that um, Tom used to push upon anyone that came around that was new. (laughs) And I admit, it's a good one, and it's not the Bible. Um, But it's Roland Williams being Christian. And um, I just, if you don't have it, it's just an absolute absolute awesome read. Um, And I guess it's compiled essays. But in it, it says... uh, uh, it says in at the very beginning of creation, the book of Genesis tells us there was watery chaos and over the watery chaos, there was blah, 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 uh, hovering a great wind. First, there is chaos and then there is the wind of God and spirit and out of the watery chaos comes the world. And so that is a look back and a nod to baptism and are my understanding now of baptism into uh, you are baptized into death, into the watery chaos, then transformed by the Spirit of God and raised up into new life. And it's funny because, once again, I'll admit it, for years of being in the Episcopal Church or just being Christian, never understood that. Never understood the symbolic, you know, going down into the chaos, the death, and rising into new life. And um, to the point of when. Finally, it, it um, was taught to me probably through, you know, Tom and Everett and Rowan Williams and many other uh, books that now I can't not hear it. And throughout like the Eucharistic prayers and just all over the place through the Book of Common Prayer, it refers to this, you know, death and new life through baptism. And, and I'm like, duh. <laughs> so and I just, man, I tell you, love Justin, that. Never in my life have my name been mentioned in the same breath as tom dalman and rowan williams you know that's that that, that's a huge honor i hold you all high i hold you all high so (laughs) well and i think it's important like like um in jewish cosmology i mean the the water the deep was 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 a dangerous place it was in in a sense a place that was away from god or 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 and um there's just I don't know. Did did Tom? Did you ever read um, reading the Bible with the damned? No. <laughs> um, so it, it, it's this guy who who says you know like read learning to read the Bible with those on the margins, and he 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 uses this sort of midrash story where 
um, he imagines that um, when Jesus is submerged in baptism, um, he grasps the hands of the Egyptians and rescues them. The, you know, those who had, who had chased um, the Jews as they were escaping slavery and, and, and how radical baptism is and that it reaches even to those who seem to be the most opposed to God. Ooh. That's an interesting one. <laughs> um, something else, I'll throw this out there too, and I read this recently. Um, you can just tell me if you ever heard it, but something else was where John was baptizing in the Jordan. Um, and this I'm going to just throw in, but the same kind of way that the uh, Israelites, I'm sorry, that was my I'm trying to think of sound, um, entered into the promised land, that same kind of scenario of crossing the Jordan again was representational, uh, symbolic, whatever, of entering the promised land too. Never heard that one, but I read it, I think, the other day or something like that. Um, anything else on the history and cool little facts that we've learned about the... <laughs> in the Bible about baptism to add. Well, one thing I'll, I'll just point out about the Jordan river. So, um, all of, uh, so Israel, um, you know, does not have access to fresh water except for that, which comes from the Jordan river. So, um, yeah. Yeah. the, the snow that melts, um, yeah. in Lebanon, which it does snow there melts in, into the Sea of Galilee, which then empties into the Jordan River, which then ends in the Dead Sea. And so you have this thing, like, in between life, the Sea of Galilee, and death, the Dead Sea, you have you have baptism. And so there's kind of a, a cool, oh, wow. uh, you know, sort of uh, geography to, to the meaning of this. Right. I love stuff like that. <laughs> I love hearing those things. Um, okay. Infant baptism or later and why? <laughs> and and who chooses? So, Tom, I'm going to let you begin because that is a thing of like uh, I, I've talked about this. I was six years old, you know, and I made that, you know, stunning decision to be baptized and devote my life to Christ because I knew everything at six years old and, and I'm, I'm being silly about it, but, um, and I still remember it, but what, what's the, what's the purpose and why and things like that. I feel like that across denominations is also something that is very, you know, I'll say, I don't want to say misunderstood, but just there's so many different thoughts on it. So what are yours, <laughs> Tom? About infant baptism, or later, or being baptized later, and why, and what's your, you know, what's your reasoning, and where, where do you, where do you um, encourage folks to go? So the, well, I don't. I just encourage them if they're not baptized to be baptized and to prepare themselves for it in a good way. But um, the, there are pitfalls having grown up in a church that only practiced believers' baptism, mm, okay. um, the pitfall of that background is that it's a contest, it becomes a contest in righteousness because it's all about individualism. It's about um, making sure you're ready to do it because you have to wait. And so... By ready, they mean, do you understand? Have you read? Are you serious? 
and you can quickly begin to think that your salvation comes about because you figured it out because you read the right verses and if if your salvation is dependent on perfect understanding or even upon you just figuring it out what's the point of the cross mm. right um, and then it so you have to justify your reason for baptism in that tradition on the other end of the spectrum in the episcopal church where especially if it's a not a church that has a lot of uh, new Episcopalians or converts. It's going to have mostly just infant baptisms taking place. Right. And the danger there is you reduce baptism to just a ceremony. Um, but then again, your salvation is not dependent on perfect understanding. So I would say regardless of which happens, infant or adult or in between, we need to emphasize what God is doing and not what the person being baptized is believing or doing. And if you're either, in either case, the community takes a vow mm. to help this person in their walk in faith. So that's kind of a cop-out answer, I guess. Um, totally. I don't think par- I don't think parents who are um, I don't think parents who are in the Episcopal Church should just say, "Oh, I had a kid. Oh, we better get them baptized." Mm-hmm. I don't think they should do that. I think they should. Um, it's not just a box to be checked off. Hmm. They they should prepare themselves. They should. Uh, I'm not saying they shouldn't do it, but they should you know, really talk to the godparents and say, you know, this isn't just a ceremonial commitment. I'm, I'm expecting you to help raise this child in the faith because I'm going to need help. You know, it should be a serious commitment. And churches, it's probably our fault. We need to do a better job of preparing people for that. Right. That makes sense. Everett? Thoughts on infant or later baptisms? Uh, so I was baptized um, later. I remember my baptism. Um, I was even though I was in a Presbyterian church. My um, my grandparents were Jewish, and my father had waited for my my grandfather had died before um, my brother and my dad and I were all baptized uh, as a way he didn't want to offend. Um, hmm. And so I remember my baptism. Um, I don't think that makes it any more special. I think that the, <laughs> the focus is on what God is doing in the baptism, not us. Um, a couple of things. Uh, you know, one of the one of the weird things about uh, the Book of Common Prayer, which I there's there's there are parts of it that I love uh, in regards to this, and parts of it I hate. So the the prayer book um, outlines um, some days where baptism should be done. And they're all kind of connected to key parts of the story of Jesus or the right. theology of Jesus. Right. And it just seems odd and weird that in a that 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 we would withhold baptism from from folks. Um, I think of this the story um, of um, 
uh, in, in the book of Acts, um, when the guy who's Philip. traveling sees some water and says, hey, there's some water. What is to stop me from being baptized? Philip and the eunuch, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and I and I think I think we need to maybe listen to to that a little bit. Um, and and I think that there probably are going to be people who are going to be baptized who are doing it to make grandma happy, who are doing because they think that that's what it needs to be done. But 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 the Holy Spirit could work in those moments and spark something. Mm. Um. Yeah. And, and, and I don't know, and, you know, I mean, we've had this whole thing about, you know, preparation for baptism now going on for 40, you know, plus years. And as far as I can tell, it hasn't made one dang bit of difference when it comes to people's, um, you know, discipleship and, you know, faithfulness. <laughs> that's so, that's Man. That's good. That, that. That's ever need to have a special guest on here. Father Everett Lee's waving a flag at the Episcopal National Episcopal Church. <laughs> I I would love to debate that issue because I think I don't think Everett's right about that. Ooh. But, um, I, but it might hit a little too close to home. So. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I like um. I like what Everett said. Um. I. I you know, I mean, Philip didn't say, wait a second, it's not Easter <laughs> or it's not Pentecost. Oh, I agree with him 100% about that part of it. Oh, okay. Well, what do you know? I'm talking with? about, I'm talking about the, um, the added preparation, not making a difference. Oh, okay. 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 Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not opposed. I mean, don't hear it. I'm not what I'm not saying. I'm not saying I'm opposed to people being prepared for baptism. I'm just saying that we have made that, we have made that this thing. Oh, we got it. And our, our, is our discipleship, discipleship up so much because of that? I mean, I don't know. I mean, no, not, not, I'm not sure that it's bearing the fruit that we think it does. Right. But is I, the only way to know is if you could somehow go back in time and make it not happen and see what we'd look like without <laughs> it. Yeah. So, it's, I am for pre- preparing people for baptism. That's not what I heard. Is it what you heard, Justin? I'm I, <laughs> I'm jotting I'm down future episode on discipleship. Well, <laughs> Sorry, at, what were you guys at, talking about? <laughs> at at Christ at Christ Church, when we when we have baptisms, I say if there is anybody here whom the Spirit is leading to come to the waters of new life, nice. you are invited to come and be baptized this morning. Boom. Oof. Boom. And I, I open it. I mean, I open it up to anyone who's there. If they want to be baptized, and the Spirit leads them to it, God bless them. Let's 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 baptize them. I admit, I got goosebumps on that, Everett. I, I seriously, I got. Bishop, go ahead. I know. I'm. I just saying. I just you just saying that makes me <laughs> gives me chills. I love that. What were you gonna say, to Bishop, Tom? Bishop Doyle does does that in uh, the Diocese of Texas. That's where and, I stole from yeah and he was he was at a church in um houston a largely hispanic congregation and he made that offer and i don't remember the number but if something like 50 people came oh. and got in line i thought that was 
And on that day, 3,000 were converted. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I like that, man. That's cool. Um, uh, okay. Uh, we're not going to get to the misconceptions, but I do want to ask this because <clears throat> I think this can tie a lot together. Uh, Tom, I'm going to come back to you. Why is it, why is baptism and admission to communion? You used that phrase earlier, and I wanted to jump back around to it. So I wouldn't, I'm not checking baptismal cards at the door, you know, or at the <gasps> altar, at the altar rail. But um, the only way we know when God is doing something is if there's a norm to be broken, at least in Scripture especially related to salvation and baptism. So the unpack norm that. is unpack that. N- the norm is established in Acts 2. Peter says repent and be baptized all of you in the name of Jesus Christ forgiveness of your sins you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Promises for you and your children and all who are far off as many as our Lord our God will call. And then it says 3000 people were baptized. Hmm. And then we get to Acts 8 or 9 Philip in Samaria which are actually the first non-Jewish converts. We forget the Samaritans and skip to the Gentiles, but the Samaritans are the first. And they're baptized, but they don't receive the Holy Spirit. So the norm is broken. So then Philip calls the apostles down. What the crap is going on, guys? These, they're baptized, but no spirit. And then so they lay their hands on them. And so the norm is broken. The apostles learn a lesson. Samaritans can become part of the kingdom. Acts 13, Cornelius, Peter's preaching. They receive the Holy Spirit, but they haven't been baptized. What the crap? So the norm is, the norm is broken. So then they have to come down. And uh, can anyone forbid water that these who have received the Spirit, uh, be, you know, not be baptized? So they baptize them. The norm is water and spirit go together because that's the way birth works. Uh, You come out of the water of your womb, mother's womb, the breath of life comes into you. So baptism works the same way, water and spirit. Um, But, and back to your question, communion, then the norm is that this is the family of God gathered around Christ's table. That's the norm. But, um, does that mean God can't, um, you know, be suddenly present to someone who has no faith and hasn't been baptized at the altar rail because their friend drug him up to communion? Mm. No, it doesn't mean that. Right. It doesn't mean that we should, uh, you know, like I said, check, check for cards, baptismal right. cards. Yeah, so we got to main we we maintain the norm, but we also at the same time have to be open to the fact that God can surprise us because hmm. our faith is in God, not our system or our understanding. Right, Quiddy, and and this this is a big debate that's going on in in the Episcopal Church about the relationship between baptism and and Eucharist and and. The normative is is that to receive communion, you're baptized. Right. Uh, I like Tom. Um, I like Tom. Do not check cards at the altar rail. I have um, knowingly um, given people communion 
if they come to the altar rail and they put their arms out or their hands out, I'm going to, I'm going to give them communion. <gasps> um, but I, 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 I do think that um, we need to have a conversation about how the two are related and why it's important to be, to be baptized. And one of the things that, that our culture hates is being told that there's good order or, you know, this is, this is how it's supposed to be done. Mm. Yeah. And we tend to reject that language for sure that like, oh, well, you could be closing off the spirit or, you know, just because it's always been done that way doesn't mean it's supposed to be done that way. Um, and, and, and I think there's really good theological reasons to do so. Yeah, I think we should totally cancel that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I couldn't help myself. Cancel um, what? I'm just kidding. The whole admission to. <laughs> oh. Um, so something, and Tom alluded to this earlier, was in the baptismal service, um, there is, I've questioned that word, sorry, uh, at, after, uh, gosh, sorry, now I'm getting all mixed up. At one point, the community is asked, will you who witness these vows do all in your power to support these persons in their life in Christ. And the people say we will. And I think that is such a beautiful and powerful experience, especially, uh, no, I shouldn't add especially, but in my, um, uh, whatever experience for parents to hear that about their child, um, whatever age the child is, but also in an adult, which you guys kind of opened my eyes to today of having an adult hear that. And I think that's such a beautiful thing. Um, and so something to, as, as a youth minister, to reach out to people in your community, whether you are have no ch children, they are graduated, gone, grown up, whatever it is, remember you are part of that community and you those children are your children in that community too whether they are 34 year old children or whatever age they are and we are working together to raise all of them in the life of christ i think that's something beautiful to remember i know we've ran over our time um but i wanted to oh there's so much more to talk about but um thank you all for listening e tom thank you for this wisdom and may the peace of the lord be always with you Thanks for joining us today. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at, at FunDrainPod. We'd love to hear your comments on our episodes and also suggest future episode topics. Also, if you enjoy what we're doing, go on to iTunes and give us a review, please. Thanks a lot.